482, I'm sorry. song just popped into my head before the service tonight and if you don't know it we'll try to learn it beautiful song the light of the world is jesus the whole world was lost in the darkness of sin the light of the world is jesus like sunshine at noonday his glory shone in the light of the world is jesus Come to the light, is shining for thee. Sweetly, the light has dawned upon me. Oh, once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. Now, how many of you, that's a new song for you? Oh, the better part of us. All right, let's try that uh, first verse. One more time, and then we'll pick up a few more here. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, is shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon I was blind, but now I can see the light of the world is Jesus. Let's sing that forth. No need of the sunlight in heaven, we're told. The light of the world is Jesus. The Lamb is a light in that city of gold. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, is shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see the light of the Let's do it. 
do another one that we may not know so well, but another beautiful song, 190, Rejoice, the Lord is King. One hundred and ninety. Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing and triumph. Beautiful old hymn, but let's go through that one more time. We'll slow it down just a little bit. Here we go on the first again. Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again I say rejoice, Jesus the Savior reigns, the God of truth and love. When he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again I say Let's sing that third as the last. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules o'er earth and hell. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus' gift. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say. Rejoice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these beautiful hymns and, Lord, the chance to learn some that maybe aren't quite so familiar. We pray that we would rejoice because the Lord is King and understand that He's still in charge in spite of all the things that go on around us. We ask for your grace and we ask that you would take this time and use it for our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And um, the Nacinos called and asked for prayer. I think the whole family is now sick, so if you would just remember them in in uh, uh, prayer. And um, of course, uh, we certainly need to uh, keep uh, the politics and and. Uh, Prime Minister Sharon and a lot of these things are, I mean, it's, uh, things are changing and they're changing much more quickly than anyone could ever anticipate and the best thing we can do is pray and talk to everyone we can about the Lord Jesus, amen? And so let's, uh, and uh, don't make stupid statements like Pat Robertson, I guess, but uh, uh, that would help, but uh, we'll... Uh, he's got to make the news somehow, I guess. But, um, oh, what did he say? Uh, he said that uh, the reason that uh, Prime Minister Sharon had a stroke was because he was giving away Palestine and God was judging him. And, um, I mean, is it some, I mean, uh, there, uh, how shall we say this? I mean, uh, God is going to give that land to the Jews. And uh, he doesn't need Pat Robertson to help him out. Amen? And so, uh, uh, anyway, I'm glad we're looking at Christ in prophecy tonight and not current events. But uh, it is absolutely, uh, we, we live on the very, very edge of, uh, of the last days. I mean, the beginning of the tribulation period is the signed peace treaty with Israel. 
and the whole world is screaming for peace in the Middle East. Now, of course, there are several different options. You know, the Arab option is to murder all the Jews and then there'll be peace in the Middle East. No, there won't. They'll be fighting each other over it. Uh, there's never been peace with the Arabs and, and there never will be. Uh, but uh, God is working and this person named Antichrist may be just, just hiding in the wings. And uh, we're out of here before he is able to reveal himself. But uh, that ought to just tell you how close, close we are. And uh, we are tonight, Lord willing, we're going to look at uh, not everyone in the Bible, but the major people pictures of Christ. And, and then, Lord uh, willing, uh, Brother Ted is going to be preaching next Thursday night. Right, Brother Ted? Okay, I did get a yes from back there. That's good. And uh, I'd appreciate your prayers. It'll be the uh, meeting at Heartland uh, Baptist Bible College. And, uh, of course, it'll be the first uh, board meeting I'm supposed to uh, serve on as a director of the college. And so uh, just pray that I represent our church well and don't do anything dumb. Amen. Uh, of which we're all capable. And so... Uh, uh, we'll be leaving Monday, and Brother Franz is going to go with us, and uh, Peter, and we're going to uh, enjoy the preaching. It's the Home Missions Conference, and uh, there'll be all of that, and then the committee meetings and all of that for the history uh, of Heartland. And um, so uh, pray uh, about those things. Let's uh, not forget uh, visitation Saturday, back on tour more normal schedule and then of course all the regular services on Sunday team meeting as I look out uh, the only teens I see have the last name Montoro uh, so we'll take care of that but uh, Saturday morning uh, we'll try to have a team meeting and so uh, if you know of anybody let them know we can pick them up and we'll try to start about 1130 all right Let's uh, take our hymn books one more time, 361. I feel like we ought to sing Cheer Up, You Saints of God here. And just, uh, but uh, let's sing The Lily of the Valley. That's about as good as it gets. There we go. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. He's my comfort in trouble, he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He, all my griefs has taken, and all my sorrows borne. In temptation, he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken, and all my idols torn. From my heart, and now he keeps me by his power. Though all the world forsake me, and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's a lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live by faith and do His blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. With His manna, He my hungry soul doth fill. Then sweeping up to glory to see his blessed face Where rivers of delight shall ever roll He's a lily of the valley, the bright and morning star He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul Amen. You may be seated. And one other thing to just ask you to keep in prayer. We've been talking about doing these... Uh, soundproof partitions and the renovations in the basement and one of the engineers from one of the companies is coming over uh, supposed to come over tomorrow morning to help uh, spec this thing out and uh, see uh, 
how it's all going to work. So just keep that in prayer. Um, I spent quite a bit of time this morning with the second company. We're trying to get at least two estimates so that we can compare them and uh, uh, make sure that we're getting a good deal. But um, uh, the uh, they make a curtain that is much cheaper that we might be able to use in another place, but he said the curtain comes in a 1,200 pound package. And uh, I said, there's absolutely no way you can get a 1,200 pound package down the steps and around the corner and in the basement door. And uh, so just just pray about that. The logistics of this thing could be uh, absolutely, uh, uh, shall we say nightmarish in proportion? Uh, <laughs> so pray about this thing that uh, we have the wisdom to figure it out and uh, and uh, uh, make this thing happen the way it should. We, we don't want to order something and not be able to make it work. And so just uh, pray that we can put all that together, if you would. All right, we're going to keep moving in our study. And um, what we are going to do is we have several different ways uh, in the Bible uh, we call these types. Now a type is simply uh, a picture. It could be uh, many different things. In fact, we'll, uh, Lord willing, uh, two weeks from tonight we'll be picking up with uh, pictures or types of Christ that are non-living uh, entities. Uh, there's a rock that pictures Christ, uh, the serpent in the wilderness, and, and uh, several other things in our Old Testament are pictures or representations of Jesus Christ. When we get to the Old Testament tabernacle, uh, the high priest, of course, pictures Jesus, but the sacrifices, the furniture, uh, there's no life in the furniture of the tabernacle, the different things that were in there, but each one of them represent and picture Jesus Christ. Now, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, people in the Bible whose lives uh, represent and picture Jesus Christ. Now, you have to understand something. We're talking about the lives of people. There's no way that they are equal or we're comparing them to Jesus Christ. Yet there is a, uh, a connection here. And as we go through types and pictures in the Scripture... Uh, the number one thing that we want is we do not want to go where our imagination will lead us. Amen. Uh, we want to go where the Bible makes connections, where the Bible teaches us that these things are given to help us understand. That's what a picture is all about. Um, we have a saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, God uses these pictures in the Scripture to help us understand. And if you think you found a picture or a type in the Bible, and you look at that and you study that thing, and, and uh, you're just thoroughly enamored, and it does not draw you closer to Jesus and make the truths of the Bible more plain and easy to understand, you need to get a different camera. Amen? Uh, You'll, you'll hear of people, um, a fellow named Bollinger in, uh, when did he live? 1700s, 1800s, something like that. Early 19, oh, that was his problem. All right, but he wrote a book that I've seen it. It's about this thick on pictures and types in the Bible. I mean, he finds pictures and periods and ands and, uh, uh, I mean, he has everything stretched to the maximum, uh, we're not going to go there, all right? We're going to try to keep it simple and, and to the point. And Adam is a picture of Jesus Christ. Actually, he is what we call an antitype. He is the opposite. And the reason why we say that is because when we get to uh, Romans chapter 5, uh, it, that's what it's going to tell us. And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, it's, it's simply... Adam was the first man. Jesus is the first true man. Amen. 
And uh, let's turn to, you can find Adam's story, Genesis chapters 2 and 3, and then uh, uh, chapter 5, 1 through 5. But let's get into the, the explanation here, the connection. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Who was that one man that sin entered into the world? Adam. And uh, you'll notice it doesn't say, For by one woman sin entered into the world. It says, For by one man. God blamed Adam for this thing. And then we go on. It says, For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now, see, there the Bible, through the Apostle Paul, is clearly making the statement that Adam is the picture or the figure of him to come. So we're safe. The Bible says so. And, uh, and and this should help us understand. And we go on, and in verse 15 it says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Okay? We're, we're not exactly the same here. Things are different. It says, For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedient, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Do you see the picture there? As Adam lived... Adam chose to sin. Every one of us in this room, every one of our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents, every one of our children, everyone that we are related to, every human being goes back to that same person, Adam. And every one of those people have sinned. You know where we got that from? We got it from Adam. We were born that way. We were born sinners. But we grew up from our birthday and we individually chose sin. Was God responsible for our sin? No. We are responsible for our sin. Therefore, God sent the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ who fulfilled righteousness completely as Adam sinned. As, if we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15.20, it says, uh, as 15.22, yeah, it's Romans, that's why it doesn't read right. It says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And we are... Uh, born again. We are born from Adam's family into Jesus' family. We are translated from the family of sin to the family of righteousness. Jesus came through his righteousness to undo what Adam did through his disobedience. And that's just the picture. Adam started the human race. Jesus started those who have eternal life. And it's just a picture. It's a living representation. It, it helps us understand that there, Jesus is the beginning. Just as Adam began, 
the human race, Jesus begins the seed of those who have life. You say, well, what about those who were born before Jesus was here on earth? And we just simply, how many sins did Jesus pay for on the cross? Not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Their faith before Jesus died on the cross and rose again was a forward-looking faith to the cross. Ours is a backward faith back to the cross. The center of everything is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, they did not have to understand all the things that you and I do today. Their faith was in response to the revelation that God had given them. That's why Abraham would get, uh, he would just simply, it tells us several places, he planted a grove, he, he uh, just dug up the earth and made an altar there and sacrificed wherever he was. And uh, later on, they built the tabernacle and then came the temple and you worship God according to what he had revealed. And as Adam began this thing, so did Jesus. Now we're going to talk about one of the most mysterious men in the whole Bible. And uh, you can read all kinds of things and people will say all kinds of things about Melchizedek. How many of you even knew there was such a person as Melchizedek? Uh, if you've been reading your Bible, uh, reading schedule, you will have run across this guy. He's, he's um, one of the most unusual men in the Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 14. And because many people are not r familiar with his story, let's read his whole story tonight. He, he only takes up a few verses in the Old Testament, and yet it takes two and a half chapters of the book of Hebrews to explain those few verses... And yet, there's so much unknown about Melchizedek. And be careful. Be careful. Don't try to figure out Melchizedek. Amen? Don't waste your time trying to figure out what God did not want you to know. Verse 18 of Genesis chapter 14. Um, what we have is we have Abraham, if you remember... Lot was taken captive with the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were uh, literally carted off and they were being carried to another, uh, taken captive. And so Abram gets his uh, uh, servants together and, uh, and the uh, kings of the cities that are confederate with Abraham and they make up their own army and they go chasing after these people and uh, they win the battle. And in verse... Uh, uh, 16 it says and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother lot and his goods and the women also and the people verse 17 and the king of sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of chedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of sheva which is the king's dale and melchizedek king of salem brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the most high god and he blessed them and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now that's the story of Melchizedek. That's all the Old Testament says about him other than one verse in the book of Psalms that says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, where did this Melchizedek come from? Uh, how how do we have the priest of the Most High God meeting Abram when Abram was the one that God called and said, you leave your homeland and you go into the land that I tell you about, Melchizedek, he was already there. And uh, people have come up with all kinds of things. And you know what? We're not going to worry about what people come up with. We'll just go into Hebrews chapter 5 and... Um, the entire point of Hebrews chapter 5 is simply this. We're not going to take time to go through the whole chapter tonight, but in verse 1, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices 
for sins. And uh, verse 6 quotes the verse out of Psalm 110. 110 verse 4, it says, And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And... Um, people have tried to take this passage saying that it's talking about Melchizedek. No, it's talking about the Lord Jesus. He was the one who had... Jesus is the one who had offered up the prayers. Jesus was the one that was... that died on the cross and rose again from the dead. He is the Son. He is the author of eternal salvation. And He is called of God a priest after Melchizedek. And you say... So, who is this Melchizedek? Well, go to chapter 7 and you're going to learn all the Bible says about Melchizedek. Verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I love the story here because here's Abraham... Uh, returning from the battle, and he has literally everything and every person, everything of value, and every person that lived in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, the cities of the plain, the smaller cities around them. This was before those cities became as evil and as wicked as they were. And uh, old Lot was living there. And Melchizedek comes up, and you can see the king of Sodom looking, and he's counting, and he's looking at all the uh, wagons or animals, however they were moving all of the stores. I mean, just imagine if you uh, had a band of soldiers come through just a few blocks of Astoria and cart off everyone and everything of value. That's what had happened here. And so the the uh, mayor of Sodom there, the king of Sodom is looking and, and he's counting everything and all of a sudden Abraham starts going through. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine gold coins. Here's one for you, Melchizedek. And the king of Sodom's going, wait a minute, that belongs to me. Uh, that, that's my stuff. And he goes through and counts ten of these and takes one out. And it says he gave him tithes of all. And uh, the king of Sodom's getting a little upset here. But then he has to remember he lost the battle and Abraham won the battle. So he better be careful how he talks to the guy who beat the man who beat him. Amen? And as he's parceling all of this out, this gives you just a little idea of how great a man Melchizedek was when he walked the face of this earth. Abraham does not uh, treat him any other way than the priest of the Most High God. Now, here's the whole thing of a priest. A priest stands between an ordinary human being and God. That's why many churches today have priests is because they believe you cannot talk to God without going through the church. That's why I'm not a priest because according to the Bible, Jesus is the high priest and everyone who is saved is a priest. We'll get to that when we get to the tabernacle. And uh, But here it is. It says, uh, verse Two, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first by interpretation, king of righteousness. And after that also king of Salem, which is king 
of peace. Now these are the titles that belong to Melchizedek. He was the king of righteousness and he is the king of peace. Now those titles belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. But right here they're given to this man Melchizedek. And it says, Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now this is talking about Melchizedek here. It says that he didn't have parents, that he, wasn't, that he didn't have a beginning, he doesn't have an end. He abides a priest continually. And uh, in, in verse 4, it say, well, it says he's made like unto the Son of God. Now, if you're made like unto something, that means you're not what you're made like unto. Amen? There's got to be a difference. If you're made like something, that means you're like it, but you're not the same. That's, that's all I know to say there. And it says, now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And it talks about, And verily they that are the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they came out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Now look at the next verse. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. It is saying that Melchizedek is superior to Abraham and that he had the ability to give Abraham a blessing and that Levi, who is a picture of the Old Testament law, actually paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was still, uh, hadn't been born yet, he was still in Abraham's loins, the Bible says, when Abraham paid the tithes to Melchizedek. And you say, now what, what is the purpose of all of this? Well, how many of you uh, know what the term Protestant means? Okay. And that's somebody who was once a part of the Catholic Church that protests against it. Uh, we Baptists are not Protestants because we're never a part of the Catholic Church. Uh, we protest against both the Protestants and the Catholics and everybody else uh, that doesn't agree with the Scriptures here. And the reason why I bring up the Protestants here as we talk about Melchizedek is simply Protestant theology divides history into two periods, law and grace. Melchizedek shoots a hole right through the head of that theory. Because long before the law was this guy named Melchizedek who had nothing to do with the law, in fact was superior to the law and above the law. And so let's not get so wrapped up in this idea of law versus grace because Melchizedek was before the law and above the law. In fact, Abraham who had received the promises is blessed of this man named Melchizedek. And, and that really messes up a lot of people's theology. And you know what? We're glad. Amen. Because we don't want to have theology that came out of somebody's textbook. We want to have an understanding that comes from God's book. And what we... Uh, the practical part of this is... Um, is you... you we get conditioned. I'm trying to say four things at the same time. Forgive me here. But we get conditioned into saying, well, you know, there's just a bunch of laws in the Bible, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Wait a minute. That's Protestant theology, my friend. Don't get caught up in the do's and the don'ts. Get caught up in the real issue here. God is doing his work and he doesn't need you and I to get it done. In fact, somebody says, well, I believe 
Melchizedek is Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Well, that's awful hard for Melchizedek to be Jesus Christ if he was made like unto Jesus Christ. That doesn't work. Somebody said, well, he was an angel. Well, no, it says he is a man right there. Uh, well, it, it says he was uh, had no beginning uh, of days and no end of days. And, yep, that's where we're going to leave it. Amen? Uh, it says he had neither father nor mother. Now, Jesus had no beginning, but... He was born of Mary. Amen. That's how he entered the human race. And so there's some things that are just a little different here because God loves to make it so that you and I don't have it all figured out. Amen. So I don't know who Melchizedek was other than he was Melchizedek. Amen. And uh, I'll let the rest of it wait until we get to heaven. And we'll figure it But he was a priest. In fact, he, the, the Bible says that he was a picture of Jesus Christ who came superior to the law, superior to him that had the promises, above everything and anyone. Uh, and even the king of Sodom did not dare lift up his voice against Melchizedek. He was given titles that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is a picture. And you say, but why did he get tithes? Well, there's a verse that says, where your treasure is, there will your bank account be... No, uh, there will your heart be also. Amen? It's talking about worship. It's talking about worship. Real worship costs you something. It's not free. And uh, if you want to get people interested, just put dollar signs in front of it. Amen? Uh, that'll get people going here. And that's what God did with this thing with Melchizedek. And it says that God is the one who calls the priest. And just as Melchizedek showed up in the Old Testament in the time of Abraham, so Jesus showed up in the New Testament in the time that God had sent him. And the ideal here is that just as we have no idea where Melchizedek came from, Jesus came and was sent by the same one. And he is the priest. Uh, look at um, oh, verse 19. Let's start right there. It says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh to God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this, uh, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, and they truly were many priests because they were not they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth for continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now look at verse twenty-five. Here is the truth of Melchizedek. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than heaven, who needeth not daily as those high priests who offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. And for this did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Jesus, just like Melchizedek, was not of the traditional priesthood as we look at the Old Testament. Jesus had a different and higher and separate priesthood as Melchizedek 
was uh, over all that was around him. So Jesus is over all in all the world today. And what God is trying to do here is he is just trying to show us that this man named Melchizedek, who is a great mystery, we don't know much about him. So Jesus, we, we do not know much about the Lord Jesus other than he is God come in the flesh to save us from our sins. And so we, we look at Melchizedek and the Bible makes a connection here saying he was made like unto the Son of God. So we look at him for a picture and help us. And the idea is that the priesthood of the Old Testament law is superseded by the priesthood of Jesus, who is after the order of Melchizedek, who superseded Abraham. And uh, that's about all that we get there, but it's, it is a picture of Christ. Uh, the next one is one of my favorites here. We go to Genesis chapter 22. Isaac is a picture. And, and these last three are a little different than the others, but... Um, in the fact uh, that uh, what we are going to see here is we're going to see uh, like characteristics and, and things. Abraham, uh, Isaac was the son of the promise. Amen. God came in Genesis chapter 17 and said, uh, you're going to have a son and you're going to call him Isaac. The word Isaac, the name Isaac means God shall laugh. God said, listen, you've laughed at me and said, I'm going to, uh, I can't give you a son. We'll see who laughs last. Amen. And every time he called little Isaac, he had to be reminded that he had laughed at God and thought that God could not give him a son. And yet in Genesis chapter 22, what did God tell Abraham to do with that son? Told him to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. What God was doing was he was painting a picture in the life of Isaac so that we could see Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of promise. Amen. He was promised since Genesis chapter 3 that he would come. He was the sacrifice. Unlike Isaac, there was no substitute. Remember, as Abraham got him all ready? And, and by the way, there's other connections here. I mean, we can explore this a little further if you want. How did a 113 to 117-year-old man overcome a 13 to 17-year-old boy and tie him down to that altar and get him all prepared to sacrifice? Uh, I'll tell you, I don't think Abraham did it without the cooperation of Isaac. And Jesus willingly laid down his life for you and I. The only difference was, just as Abraham raised the knife to kill his son, God spoke and said, don't touch him. And there was a ram caught by his horns in the thicket. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered that ram up in the place of his son Isaac and in Genesis chapter 22, uh, there are two references here. And I just want to read both of them to you. Uh, verse 7, it says, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide what? Himself. A lamb. For a burnt offering. Now that, I mean, you just take those words. It says, God shall provide himself a lamb. And that's exactly what happened on that same mountain just 2,000 years later when the Son of God provided himself the lamb for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we come down here to uh, chapter, verse 14, it says, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, excuse me, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And that's how Isaac pictures 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the son of the promise. He willingly laid down his life. God saved Isaac, but he would not when it came to Jesus' turn. And uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the writer of Hebrews going and making the connection here. In verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And what that's simply saying is, as far as Abraham was concerned, as far as Isaac was concerned, as far as the facts of the situation were concerned, Isaac was as good as dead and then brought back to life because the intention of everyone there was to... I mean, Abraham had already done it in his mind a thousand times in those three days that God had told him and they traveled up there. He was a man. How could he not dream about it at night and understand... But Abraham's dream was this. I will kill my son and God will resurrect him because God promised me that in my son Isaac would the promise be made. That's faith, my friend. Jesus laid down his life so that you and I could go free. And, and that's a picture of Isaac. The way I love to put it is Abraham's called the friend of God. You know what friends do? They share common things with each other. And God made Abraham his friend and allowed Abraham through this incredible emotional trauma that Abraham had to have gone through in Genesis chapter 22 to feel as much as humanly possible what God felt for you and I. Incredible. Unbelievable. But that's why Abraham's called the friend of God. You and I, we wouldn't pass that test very well, I don't think, because if we would, God would give it to us. Amen? He wants us to just live for Him. He's got other tests for you and I. All right. We've got two more, and we've got about Five minutes here. Um, let's try this next one. We'll just see if we don't get very far. We'll, but uh, you'll have to read the story of Joseph. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph in the Bible through our Sunday school time, through reading the Bible? Okay, you will see the, the, the pictures and the connection uh, as we go through. The references are here. Uh, Joseph was the son of, of um, Jacob's old age. He was the one that Jacob loved uh, more than his other children. He was the only beloved of his father. Joseph was hated by his brethren. He was also sold by his brethren for a prophet as Jesus was sold by his own apostles for a prophet. He was unjustly tried and punished. And yet, Joseph never lost hope in God. We went through those prophecies. I have set my face, I shall not be ashamed. And, and Joseph went through these things. Joseph forgave those who hated him. Read the passage. He said, you meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it for good. He was able to see and understand what was going on and look past his own pain for the joy of others. And that's what Jesus Christ did for you and I. Do you know that Joseph is one of the few men in the Bible of whom there is no recorded sin? Joseph and Daniel, as far as I know, are the only two men in the Bible whom, God, whom the scriptures record no evil deed done by either one of these men. And uh, Joseph went from the depths of degradation, a slave in the dungeon, 
to second in command in Egypt. You say, but wait a minute, Jesus is going to be first, isn't he? No. Jesus is going to be second because Jesus is going to turn everything over to the Father that God may be all in all. It's a neat little picture there. I love this stuff. And uh, let's see if we can get through this last one. Uh, Boaz. How many of you have read the story of Ruth? That's why it's so important. If you know the story, it'll, it'll make a whole lot more sense. Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ because Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. He was of the family of Ruth, who Ruth had gotten into that family by marrying one of Elimelech's sons. And Jesus became our kinsman. He took upon him not the nature of angels, but he took upon him the nature of mankind. He became our kinsman. It says in the book of Hebrews here, you can read it, uh, that he is not ashamed to call us his brethren because as God he became a man do you get that isn't that beautiful he became part of our family he was Boaz was willing to recognize the Gentile bride does that strike any pictures for you the church is primarily Gentile in nature it is, the church is not a Jewish thing. The temple was a Jewish thing. The church is Gentile. And by the way, there are no groups of Gentiles more despised in the Scripture with more things prophesied against them than the Moabites. And yet, what was Ruth? Moabite. And yet, she was brought into the family of the kinsmen and in uh, reality became part of the lineage. She was the great-great-grandmother of King David, who was uh, 14 generations before the carrying away, according to Matthew, 14 more generations from the time that the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar until the time that Jesus was born. So you figure out how many ever greats have to go in there, 28 plus 3, and uh, you can put them in there. And that's where Ruth was. She was the great-great-great-great-great-great-great grandmother humanly speaking she was in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ Boaz as the kinsman redeemer paid all the debts of the dead I love that one and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins amen you see how the picture helps us understand Boaz paid the debts of the dead. Jesus paid the debts of the dead in sin to God so that we could be redeemed, so that we would have our freedom to live and do what God wants. And, and Boaz provided a child who carried on the name of Elimelech who had died and his sons who had died in sin and away from God. Jesus has given us a seed. He has given us a hope because, listen, it did not begin with us. Amen? Aren't you glad that you're not the beginning and the end? Jesus began this thing of salvation and it has continued down through all the ages. All those that have believed, either looking forward to the cross or looking back to the finished work of Jesus Christ, have all been saved in the kinsman redeemer who gave us life to carry on. We have hope for the future, hope for future generations because of what the kinsman redeemer did in paying the debts and redeeming the life of those that had died. And so these are the major pictures of Jesus Christ. You'll notice I did not put David in the list. David was the man after God's own heart. In fact, Jesus will be a king, but whenever it refers to David and Jesus Christ, it's always Jesus is the son of David. Never Jesus is David because David did some pretty rotten things. 
David had to kill people. He was a warrior. Jesus isn't going to have to do all those things because he is God. That's why we didn't put David in the picture. And uh, there's some other people that you can find likenesses as, but this, these are the main ones in the Old Testament that give us just a little glimpse. Adam, the beginner. Melchizedek, the priest. Isaac, the sacrifice. Joseph, the sufferer. And Boaz, the redeemer. Beautiful, beautiful pictures. And all God's people said, and we're only four minutes late. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come unto you tonight and we ask that you would take this lesson and, Lord, that we would uh, look at your picture book and uh, that you would allow us to study and to learn. And certainly we could not cover everything that, that could be said about these men. We ask that the Holy Spirit would minister this uh, these truths to us and Lord that we would see and understand and most of all Lord we would live that we would understand that you saved us to the uttermost Lord we thank you for your grace and your glory that you've given to us to our kinsman redeemer Jesus Christ Lord we ask that you would encourage us that you would strengthen us under the burdens of this life, that we would learn to cast those burdens upon you and not to carry them ourselves. We ask you to do your work during the time of invitation, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. And we'll just wait on the amen for a few minutes. If you'd like to continue that prayer on your own, you may step out and spend a few minutes.